You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Well, we're in 2022, and is it flying by or is it going slow for you guys? Flying by? Yes, I just now remember to put 22 on my checks and paperwork, and it's already going to be February. But we have the theme for our lives that we've been looking at, the theme for this year, the theme for what we're doing, the word more. And I would like to continue that theme. I'd encourage you to visit on our Facebook or our website the messages on more if you've missed them. But today we'd like to look into Ezekiel. We've looked at two visions Ezekiel had. We looked at the vision he had of the river coming out of the temple. Oh, I want those kind of visions, those kind of words from the Lord. It's just getting better and better and new life and new life. And then we looked at the vision when Ezekiel was led to a difficult place and a place of death and a place of hopelessness. And even in that, the valley of the dry bones, God spoke and brought life out of a place where there was no life. And today we want to look at not a vision Ezekiel had, but a message that God gave to Ezekiel. It's the whole chapter of Ezekiel 34, but I'm just going to read you a few of the verses. And they all said, Amen. (laughs) Then this message came to me from the Lord. The Lord didn't give him a vision this time. He gave him a word, a message that he was to speak. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us in different ways. We just want to say, whatever you want to do, Lord, speak to us. So the message comes from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the Sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Oh, this is going to be good today, Matt. I feel so much hope already. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. Right there in verse 4, you can really see some things that are important to the Lord's heart. The one who's called the shepherd of Israel, the shepherds of our hearts. It's important to the Lord that the weak are taken care of, that the sick are tended to and bound up, and the injured are restored, that those who have wandered away are looked for. And it's less important the ruling or the domination over those. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. God, using the metaphor or the, the, the work of a shepherd and a sheep, is speaking to his people through Ezekiel a problem in the land. Now he goes on, but I'm just going to tell you in verse 7, he says, Therefore, I'm going to let you know I'm going to act. You've abandoned the flock, and you've let them be attacked, and you're going to have a price to pay. He's going to say now he considers the shepherds or the leaders his enemies and holding them responsible for what's happened to the sheep. He's going to take away their right to gain what the sheep have given them. Then let's skip down to verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. Again, he's giving this message to Ezekiel to tell to the people, I myself will search and find my sheep. Oh, what a good God. I will be like a shepherd looking for the scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on their dark day and cloudy day. 
If you feel scattered, if you feel lost, if you feel alone, don't worry. God's looking for you. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples of the nation. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and all the places where the people live. Verse 14, yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. Does that describe your 2022, your life as it is now? Are you lying in the lush? Are you feasting in the fields, drinking on the river? If that's not your story, don't worry. God's in the process of leading you to those places. I myself will tend the sheep and give them a place to lie down. In peace, I will search for the lost ones who strayed away. I will bring them to safely home. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them. Yes, I will feed them justice. There's so much in this chapter. I encourage you to go read it. I'm just going to give you four sections of it. But we see the Lord. Other parts of Scripture said he looked for someone to stand in the gap, someone to do these very things, and he could find no one. So the Lord says, I'll do it myself. Rather than leaving us lost without a shepherd, the Lord becomes our shepherd. Oh, there's hope for us no matter our circumstance. After these verses, God says, starts talking to the sheep, and he starts saying, I'm going to even judge between my sheep. Not only do the shepherd have some problems, but sometimes the sheep are having problems. There's some sheep that are eating everything and then trampling so the other sheep can't eat. There's other sheep that are drinking and then muddying the water so other sheep can't drink or eat. And he asks them, isn't it enough that you have enough to eat? Why do you have to ruin it for everybody else? Isn't it enough you have enough to drink and why do you have to spoil it for everyone else? So the Lord is looking at his people. He's looking at the leadership, but he's also looking at those who wouldn't consider themselves leaders, but just the followers or the sheep. There's a problem in the leadership. There's a problem in the community. And the Lord says, I am going to judge between the fat sheep and the scrawny sheep. Symbolism all here, please. All right. Those who are using their shoulders to and their heads to butt people out of the way, the Bible says. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another. I will set over them one shepherd, he says, my servant David. The Lord's going to put a shepherd. He's going to be the shepherd that the other shepherds weren't, and he's going to take care of the sheep, and he's going to discipline and lead them. It's all good news in a world where don't you feel like sometimes you're taken advantage of by leadership? Don't you feel like sometimes things are going the wrong way? Somebody's getting fat off of your food or your hard work. All the things that we might complain about to the Lord, as David did in the Psalms. Lord, why did the unrighteous gain and the righteous suffer. All these things that are the same since the fall of man, where it seems like everything is turned upside down. But in this chapter, we see that it's on the Lord's heart also. You could say throughout scripture, of course, it's on the Lord's heart that he's redeeming mankind to himself. But the Lord says, I'm going to take care of the leaders that aren't being leaders, and I'm going to take care of the sheep that aren't caring for each other. And then he goes on to say at the close of the chapter, I will make a covenant of peace with my people and I'll drive away the dangerous animals from the land. They will be able to camp safely in the wildest places, sleep in the woods without fear. I will bless my people in their homes around my holy hill and in the prosper and in the prosperous season, I will send the showers they need. There will be showers of blessing. Oh, who used to go to church when they sang that song? 
There will be showers of blessing. Nobody, just me. I needed some old school people to help me right there. I could have done a couple of verses. There will be showers of blessing. Hey, if you are not living in showers of blessings, then you're not done. There will be showers of blessing. The orchards, the fields of my people will yield bumper crops. Everyone will live in safety. When I have broken the chains of slavery and rescued them from those who enslaved them, they will know that I am the Lord. They will no longer be prey for other nations and wild animals will no longer devour them. They will live in safety. No one will frighten them. I talked to several people in the last few weeks. I summarized what they said to me. If I turn this way, trouble. If I turn this way, trouble. If I turn this way, problems. If I turn this way, difficulty. They said to me, no matter what I do, and I'm just holding on to faith and holding on to the Lord. And the Lord says he sees it, and he will rescue us from being the prey of others. Finally, he ends the verse, the chapter, I will make their land famous for its crops. My people will never again suffer from famines or the insults of foreign nations. In this way, they will know that I... The Lord, their God, am with them. The purpose of the rescue and of the more in our life is that we would know the Lord and who He is. The lack in our life and the trouble in our life is trying to distort our vision, almost like a fog or a distraction, to think God isn't who He said He was, and that Christianity is just a crutch and it doesn't work, and who is Jesus anyway, and can we even believe He lived and rose again? And the Lord says, you'll see because I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, and then you will know that I am with you. Like we sing about today, never a time when God was not with us. And They will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. And then God, like a father, says, you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. And I just imagine the gavel coming down. He said it. It's been done. I don't know how your world is going right now, but you could just say that out loud over your life. I'm God's people. He's my God. He's spoken. The title today, if there was one, would be, There's More to the Story. God is speaking to Ezekiel because at that point in the story, there was trouble everywhere. Trouble with the sheep and trouble with the leaders of the sheep. From the top to the bottom, things weren't going the way God had instructed for them to go. There's more to the story. The sheep are scattered, but he's going to bring them back. The sheep are being taken advantage of and killed by wild prey, but he's going to make even the dangerous places safe for them. The water's muddy. The grass is trampled, but the Lord's going to produce crops and fruit where they'll become famous for all that is produced out of the land. There's more to the story. Today, there's more to the story in your life. The Bible's full of a lot of stories. I want to tell you one about Lockhart. Decades ago, there was a football game. The Lockhart Lions were playing against the Gonzalez Apaches. Ooh. If you're from Gonzalez, the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We had a running back named Robert Thompson. When I knew Robert Thompson, I thought he was seven feet tall. He's barely taller than me. I thought he was 400 pounds of lean muscle, and he was full of muscle, but he wasn't that big. But, man, he ran the football like he was a giant. 
The game was such a big game for what the playoffs mattered. And now we're trusting my memory. So I won't tell you any lies, but it may need to be just tightened up a little bit. So for all the Lockhart football fans, if I tell it wrong, send me an email. The helicopter from the Austin News was flying over the football field. It was going to be a tremendous matchup. The first half was so terrible. Robert Thompson, the most phenomenal running back in the district. I don't know if he had negative yards or zero yards, but it was not impressive. The Lions were losing, I think, 20 to nothing. I'm going to get the score wrong, but it was not good. The fans left, the helicopters left, and the Lions left and went into halftime. They came out. In the second half, Robert Thompson had over 200 yards. The Lions won the game. I'm going to say 22 to 20, but I don't remember. You should look that up before you preach it. Yes, I know. I remember the game. 200 yards in a game is unbelievable. 200 yards and a half, wow. If you left at halftime... Somebody saw you later and said, oh, there was more to the story. There was more to the story. Could I just tell you one more? Y'all really listen when I was talking about football. How about baseball? I went with my friend Sammy. We used to watch Robert Thompson run. Then we tried to play football. Sammy was real good. Sammy and his parents took me to Houston to watch the Mets play the Astros. We stayed for the game. It was just bad. Our team losing. We left in the, about the seventh inning, went to the hotel. Checked the news later that night. It had been a great comeback. Unbelievable comeback. I don't, I'm not going to make up the score. They were down. There's no way to win. You don't leave games early, especially when you don't go to all of them. It was so bad we didn't even stay. Oh, but there was more to the story. They came back and won. If you intersect any story in the middle or in any chapter until you get to the end, or for those of you like me that don't know why they write books about movies that are already produced, if you watch a movie and you just watch it up to a certain point and don't see the ending, then you could say there's more to the story. And I want to encourage us in the more of our life to trust God because He's not done doing what He's going to do. When we see the Lord in the sky, we'll know that we're about to see the end of the story. Now, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, meaning everything's been done that needs to be done, and now it's going to play out. And in the process of that story, just like those helicopters from the news, there's the temptation to think, I've seen all I need to see. I already know what's going to happen. And just like that baseball game, there's no way this is going to turn out the way we want it. Let's go do something more fun like the swimming pool at the hotel. There's the temptation. There's even the thing that makes sense. There's no way, so why bother with the last 30 minutes, the last two chapters? But I want to encourage you that there's more to the story. In this book of Ezekiel, God prophesies that he's going to send a shepherd to Israel, King David. From the line of David, Jesus was, would come. It was almost 600 years later, but Jesus came. Imagine if you had to wait 600 years. And you know what Jesus came and said? The Son of Man comes to seek and save those who are lost. 
Doesn't that sound like what God told Ezekiel to say? There's sheep that are lost and the shepherds aren't looking for them, so I will come look for them. And then here comes Jesus, almost speaking like he was speaking out of Ezekiel's message. I've come to seek and save the lost. He said in John 10, I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold and I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Just like the last verse of Ezekiel 34 where he says, they are the sheep of my pasture and I am their shepherd. But that wasn't the end of the story when Ezekiel said it. And who wants to wait around 600 years for an end of the story? Well, if it's a good end of the story, then it might be worth it. Jesus said this. No, John said this. As we're thinking about there's more to the story. John writes the book of John about Jesus and the gospel. The last verse of his book, he said, Jesus also did many other things. You know, John talked about when he healed the blind man and healed the lame man and raised the dead and all the, all the miracles that we just can't even fathom. And John says this, if everything Jesus did were written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So you can hold up your Bible, the Word of God, nothing needs to be added to it or taken away from it. But there are some things in there that they didn't write down. And when you get to heaven, you're going to hear a lot of more stories about more to the stories. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying the Bible is inadequate or incomplete. I'm just telling you that in Judges chapter 331, it tells you about a man named Shamgar. One of my favorites, right, Chad? After Ehud, Shamgar, son of Anath, rescued Israel. He once killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And then next verse. There's got to be more to this story. In the Bible, there's one verse. Now, I just like the name Shamgar, right? My fifth daughter, Shamgar. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I hope they don't ask me what I'm naming the person if we ever go to the adoption agency. We're going to name her Shamgar. Sorry, next. Just the name. I'm like, I need to know the heritage of this name and what it means. I want to know more. Killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now, I can find out what an ox goad is, but man, how did that happen? Was it like an ox goad from Star Wars? No. How do you kill 600 people at one time? What kind of power of God has to come on you to save you? Because Shamgar was raised up as a judge for Israel, as a helper. But man, there's got to be more than that story, right? More to that story. But I'm only given a sentence in the Bible or two sentences. He rescued Israel. He killed 600 enemies at one time with what would be a farming tool. Well, there's a little girl in the Bible. They told us Shamgar's name. They don't even tell this, us this girl's name. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, and because through him the Lord gave Aram great victories. But through Naaman, though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now look at this verse. Verse 2. At that time, the Aramean raiders involved had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. So we hear about the story of this young girl, but it's intertwined in Naaman's story. They name him. They don't even name her, but look what she does. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria, and he would heal him of his leprosy. Verse 4, she's done. Now Naaman told the king what the girl of Israel had said. And if you follow this story in 2 Kings, Naaman ends up going 
going in the river seven times in the Jordan, getting healed of leprosy. We don't even know the name of the girl that made that all happen, that instructed him where to go. There is so much more to this story. But imagine the people of her day that just saw her, little slave girl. Some of them probably looked down on her because of her race. Others probably said, how sad to be taken from your family. So many others judging her story from the outside. I mean, they had to in that day and time when she was alive. All we know is this, but I'm telling you there's much more to her story. And her story was involved in Naaman's story. There's more to the story. I want you to ask the Lord for faith and hope and trust to believe that there's more for your story. And that like the little girl, your story is connected to my story. And our story is connected to a bigger story called Lockhart. And our story is connected to a bigger story in our region. And, and we're connected to other stories. And God is doing something through those stories. And just like Ezekiel had a moment in time, but he talked about a time that would come for later. His story is connected even like ours to further down the road. I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, could I have more faith to believe? that this might all be worth it because you're doing something that I can't see yet. Could we ask the Lord for more faith to believe that God has more to our story, which adds to other stories, which adds to his story? God is doing something. 600 years after Ezekiel, there's Jesus. A few weeks or months later, after the girl, Naaman's healed. A few days after we hear about Shamgar, and he's killed an army that would have destroyed Israel. Something's happening. And it's a part of a bigger story. But our today matters, but there's more to the story. To look at that, I'd like to tell you about one story that the Bible takes several chapters to tell us about. It's the story of Joseph. It begins in Genesis 37, and I'm just going to take a few verses right here to tell us a little bit about Joseph's story. Joseph had a dream one night, and he told his brothers about it, and they hated him more than ever. Listen to the dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles gathered around and bowed down low to mine. His brothers responded, so you think you're going to be our king? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Joseph had a gift. The Lord would give him dreams and tell him what they meant, and they would tell him about life and the future and it caused the people close to him to hate him. A little more for the beginning of the story. As a teenager, it says Joseph soon had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream. And they said, yay, let's get some popcorn and coke and listen. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down before me. The sun, his dad, the moon, his mom, the 11 stars, his brothers. This time he told the dream to his father as well. As to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come to bow down to the ground before you? But look at verse 11. While his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered about what the dream would mean. We can become, we can let the wrong emotions, the wrong feelings, the wrong translation of our story cause our hearts to become full of all the dark things like the brothers with hatred. Or even though we don't understand, we can be like the father and wonder, what could this mean something? 
I can't do it today. It's several chapters, and you'll be glad. But Joseph's story is told in Genesis 37 and then 39 to 50. I think it's relevant for our lives today, and I think you'll find great courage in it. I'd like to just give you a brief synopsis, if that's okay. Brief in the terms that most people mean brief. Chapter 37, Joseph worked for his dad and his half-brothers, and he sometimes had to give a negative report on them. He receives a gift from his dad, a beautiful robe. He dreams what I already read to you. They plot to kill him, to get rid of him one day while he's checking on them in the fields far away from his home. One brother says, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a well, and he was going to come rescue him later. They throw him in a cistern, which isn't the same thing as a well. And I just want to stop on my brief description of Joseph's life and tell you the difference between a well and a cistern. A whale goes all the way down to the water and you get water out of it. Evidently a cistern, because I read about it, you dig something that will hold the water that comes either from the ground or the rain. And many times the Lord says in scriptures, my people have given up the well, the source, for cisterns that can't hold water. And I just want to encourage us to be people of the whale, not people of cisterns. It's kind of a side note, but man, it's a good one. Our cisterns that we dig for ourselves to get the water that we need, they're not going to hold or supply. But if we go down to where the source is in the well, so they throw Joseph into the cistern. But on the way, before he dies and their plan to just kill an animal and put blood on his coat and tell the dad they found it and he must be dead, they see some slave traders coming through. So they traffic Joseph for money into Egypt. And Joseph is not dead. He's very alive, but now he's a slave. He's sold to an Egyptian official named Potiphar in Egypt. That all happens in chapter 37, but there's more to the story. Chapter 39, verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph, even in an attempted murder, even in betrayal, even in being trafficked to another country. The Lord was with Joseph. He was made the personal assistant of Potiphar. He was put in charge of everything that Potiphar had. In verse 5, it said, the Lord began to bless Potiphar because of Joseph. Joseph is in a mess, but he becomes a blessing, a source of blessing through God for other people. I want to tell you this. You're in some kind of trouble right now, and the Lord is positioning you through the problem to be a blessing in someone else's life. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how it all works out, but over and over in Scripture, you can see it. And if not, at least in Joseph's story, you can. It says Potiphar's house is blessed. He puts Joseph in charge of everything, and Potiphar's wife starts to make passes at Joseph. He refuses for righteousness sake, but she continues. And one day she accuses him of attempted rape. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. In verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his faithful love. Joseph becomes in charge of all of the prison and all of the prisoners and everything that goes on in the prison. There is a calling on Joseph's life. It has something to do with these dreams he's been dreaming. It's just that the circumstances and the, the arena is not probably what Joseph Imagine, but the call and the gift of God is with them even in the prison. In chapter 40, we're only two chapters into Joseph's life. This is the third one. Joseph interprets two dreams in the prison. One of them is an imprisoned cupbearer from Pharaoh and a baker from Pharaoh. They're both in prison. They both have dreams. The cupbearer's dream is interpreted that on that day, he's going to be let out of prison and go back to serving Pharaoh. So they have a dream. And the very day after he has the dream, Joseph interprets says, you're getting out of jail today and you'll be back in Pharaoh's courts. The baker's dreams interpreted that that very day he's going to be executed by Pharaoh. I appreciate Joseph. It must have been hard to tell 
one of his cellmates, that trouble was coming, but he was faithful to what the Lord said. Joseph asked the cupbearer, when you go to be with Pharaoh, remember me since I helped you with the dream. But the cupbearer forgets about him. And Joseph stays in the prison two more years. Chapter 41. There's more to the story. We're barely into it. Two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams in one night. No one can interpret them. The cupbearer remembers Joseph, and he's summoned to Pharaoh. Joseph interprets the dreams. He names God as the only one who can really tell the meaning. And God is telling Pharaoh what he's about to do. It's so interesting. God is speaking, but Joseph is there as an interpreter. Joseph wouldn't have been there, probably, had his brothers not been so terrible, had the slave traders not traded him, had the false accusation not come. God is able to turn everything for good, to give back the years the locusts have stolen, to give back what the enemy's taken, to give us back what has seems to be lost. Joseph is interpreting God's message to the greatest king in the earth at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He says there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of family, famine. That's what the dreams mean. Joseph outlines the certainty and the plan of the two dreams. He said, because it's two, God's going to do it soon. And here's what you ought to do to prepare for it. Verse 38, the Pharaoh says this. I mean, Joseph's just out of prison, just met him, interprets the dream. He says, can we find anyone else like them, obviously filled with the Spirit of God. There's more to the story. But if you leave Joseph in the cistern, if you leave him on the slave trade, if you leave him incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit, you would think there's not much hope. And had Joseph left God in any one of those situations, there probably wouldn't have been hope because God is our hope and our source and our strength. He's put in charge of all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh has a higher rank. Manasseh is born to him, and he names him Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all of my troubles and everyone in my father's family. He has a second son, Ephraim, and it means God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. God is producing in Joseph, though he's suffered, and he's taking away his sorrow, and he's taking away his grief, and even in the land that's not his, he's causing him to prosper. The famine hits the whole world, and people come from everywhere to get grain from Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 42, I only told you about 37, 39, and 40. There's more to the story. But because Joseph begins to distribute what they've held and stored up for seven years, all of the world comes to Egypt. Some of you know this story. Joseph was the governor of all Egypt in charge of all the grain, giving it to the people. And it was to him that his brothers came. They get sent by their father to Egypt because there's famine in the whole world. And they go to Egypt. Maybe there's, we've heard there's food down there. And it just so happens that the brothers that threw him in the cistern and sold him into slavery end up right in front of him asking for food. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. I want to ask the Lord, Lord, could you sustain me through whatever comes that I could live to see the end of the dream you told me at the beginning? Or am I the kind of person that's going to quit in the middle? Lord, no, don't let it be. And then when I start thinking, could I make it through what Joseph made it through? I quit thinking about it and I say this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord is my strength and my salvation. Though 5,000 on this side and 10,000 on this side. And somehow the Holy Spirit reminds me of verses that are about God and not about me. 
It doesn't really matter what I can do. It matters what God can do through me. The more to the story is that God is working. God can sustain a younger brother when he's sold out by his family, when he's falsely accused. He can, can, can help that person continue to live out their destiny, even though the circumstances aren't what they imagined. And then he sees the dream. He was a teenager. Now he's an older man. He was in another country. And now he's looking at his brothers just like he saw him in the dream. Well, he saw him like grain. And he saw him like stars. But can you imagine what Joseph felt that day? I know the Spirit of God went, remember the dream? And how many nights Joseph in prison might have said, Lord, was the dream even real? We don't know the rest of the story, the more to the story about the crisis of faith that Joseph might have had. We just know he always came out on the right side of it. We know that no matter where he was, he was interpreting dreams and he was being favored by God. And the call on his life didn't matter on what everybody else was doing. It just mattered that if he stayed faithful to God, it would be true in his life. Lord, I don't want to preach in Lockhart. I want to preach on TV. That's not true. I'm just making that up. Lord, I don't want to be a, this job in this place. I, I want to be a dream. Joseph might have said, what's your point, Matt? Well, let me just say it this way. Joseph might have said, I want to be a dreamer, and I want everybody to bow to me, but I want it to be in a place, not the prison. There are some things God said about your life before you were born that are going to come true if we make it to the end of the story. He who endures to the end will be saved, the Bible says. So let me just encourage you. Let me encourage you that if you've had good news and a victory in your life and something that was headed in the right direction and it caused jealousy, anger, resentment in those around you, then you may want to know a little bit more about Joseph's story. If God was working in your life but people treated you like you were the devil, then you might want to know a little bit more about Joseph's story. If you've been treated wrongly by the ones who are closest to you, the ones who should have taken care of you. If you've been thrown away, left for dead, betrayed, had evil returned to you for the good you were doing, you might want to know there's more to the story. If you've been trafficked or made to go in a direction or to a place you didn't choose, if you've been falsely accused, misunderstood, misrepresented, wrongly lost your freedoms or imprisoned, you may want to know there's more to the story. If you have continued to do good only to have others use you for their benefit and take your goodness and then forget about you and leave you where you were. If you've continued to be hidden while others have been seen. If you felt lost and alone while others have gained recognition, you might want to know there's still more to the story. If you've not seen the light of day for what seems like years or what really has been years, you may want to look at the life of Joseph. You may want to look at God's work in his life, and you may want to find hope and help for your own story. Somehow, Joseph continued to live a faithful life despite his circumstances. He served his captors. He served his betrayers. He ministered to people by interpreting their dreams. It was his spiritual gift. And God was with Joseph even when it appeared by some measurements that he wasn't. If you saw your Christian brother or sister go from one of these troubles to the next to the next, what would be the thought in our mind? Man, what kind of sin are they hiding in their life? What kind of trouble do we not know about? Or the opposite, man, what kind of God do they serve? 
that he's doing that to them. The more to the story, the end of the story tells us what's really going on. We have to be careful interpreting things in the middle of the story. We have to be careful or we'll think Robert Thompson is going to end up with zero yards instead of 200 and something. That the Astros are going to end up losing instead of winning. That the Cowboys are, well, we know what's going to happen. How does Joseph continue to hold on to a dream that he can find no relevance of? Well, God encourages him little by little. Whatever he does, even when it's in hard places, God takes care of him and God promotes him. So it's enough. But I'm going to tell you he held on by faith, by trust in the Lord, by obeying. He continued to do what God put in front of him, and he continued to do it believing that God was with him. It's called faith. There's a verse in the Bible, chapter of faith. We call it Hebrews 11. And it says that faith is showing us the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of what we haven't seen yet. And through faith, people before Jesus earned a good reputation and trust in the Lord. And that same chapter goes on to say this. It was by faith that Abel brought an acceptable offering to God. And his righteous offering still speaks to us today. In verse 5, it says it's by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven without dying. He just disappeared because God took him. By faith, Noah built a boat even though it had never rained before and he saved his whole family. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and left his home to go to another land. And he went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with an eternal foundation, a city designed by God. It says it was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child even though she was past the age of having a child. Verse 13 in Hebrews 11 says this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They hadn't seen the end of it. Abraham hadn't seen nations. They hadn't seen the Messiah. They died believing it. Ezekiel died believing God's going to send a shepherd. Our story matters today. It started before us. It will end after us. But we have a part to play today. And I think we can hold on to the trouble during the trouble by knowing there's more to the story. This is not the end of the story. All these people died believing what God had promised them. They hadn't received everything that was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners in this earth, that they were, it was obvious people who say such things are looking forward to a country they call their own. If they had longed for this country, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God because he prepared a city for them. The people of faith in Hebrews 11 and in the Bible, they're looking forward to something they haven't yet seen. God showed up in their life in moments and in times, but there's more to the story and they're holding on. And that's what Joseph did. He knew he had seen a vision from God. They're going to bow down to me. And though everything looked like he was the one being defeated and bowing down to the kingdoms of the earth or being pushed down by them, he held on. No, I know I saw something. I know God spoke to me. I know there's an end to this story different than what's happening today. There's more to the story. And he held on because he had faith, just like these people of faith. But you and I, in Christ, we're people of faith. We believe in someone we haven't seen, but we've heard about him. But more than heard about him, he's touched our lives. He's done some things. 
And the trouble is trying to make us quit and give up. But I want to encourage you, there's more to the story. If this is your worst day, if this is your best day, there's more to the story. We haven't seen everything that's been promised to us yet. It says in that same chapter of Hebrews in verse 22, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. And he even commanded them to take his bones with him when they left. More of Joseph's story is that Joseph died in Egypt. And years and centuries later, they say 200, 400 years, there's arguments when you add up the numbers in the Bible, but centuries later, Moses takes the people of God out of Egypt. And it says in Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God didn't lead them along the main road that goes through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, I'm going to lead you to the Red Sea this way. And he led them on a roundabout way through the wilderness to the Red Sea. And the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And the next verse says this, Moses took with him the bones of Joseph. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear, God will certainly come to help you. And when he does, you must take my bones from this place. Joseph knew there was more to his story when he was in a cistern. He knew there was more to his story when he was in Potiphar's house. He knew there was more to his story when he was in the prison. He knew there was even more to his story when he was on his deathbed. My bones won't stay here. Take them back to Israel when you go to the promised land. Take them with you. And centuries later, Moses takes his bones. I don't want to just have hope for next week, next month, 2023. I want to have hope for my great, great, great grandkids and pass them. And wherever they take my bones to, or if I get taken up like Enoch, or if I see the Lord in the sky before I die, there's a story, and it goes on centuries past us. But our part of it is important now, and it was, it'd be important then. There's been an enemy trying to take you out before you were born. He'll be trying to take you out until you leave this earth. But he can't if you stay with the Lord. The Bible promises this. Nothing can take us from the hand of God. Not angels or demons, powers in heaven or earth or under the earth can take us out of God's hand. So just don't leave his hand. Don't take yourself out. Don't divorce yourself from God because it looks like he's mismanaging things. There's more to the story. I wish it didn't take prison to get Joseph to Pharaoh's court. I wish it didn't take trafficking. I wish it didn't take his brothers plotting his murder. But on this side of Adam and Eve falling, our parents... And us continuing in that fall from God, this is the way to victory. It's called suffering. It says in Hebrews that Jesus, though he was a son, suffered. And it says that through his suffering, he learned obedience. Obedience is equal to love. In John, it says, if you obey me, you love me. If you love me, you obey me. I was thinking about that today. If you gave me a dollar, you could give me a dollar. You could give me two 50-cent pieces. You could give me four quarters. You could give me... 10 dimes, 20, you know what I'm saying. They all equal a dollar, but they're in different forms, right? 
Love equals obedience. Our obedience may look different. Our love may look different. It may be in different forms, but love is equal to obedience. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus was a son, but he suffered, and he learned obedience. He learned to love God through what he suffered. And then verse 9 of chapter 5 says, because he suffered perfectly, he's able to raise all of us from the dead. He became a high priest. I wish Jesus didn't have to suffer, but on this side of us falling away from God, that's the way to victory. So you can embrace, like James says, consider it pure joys, my brothers and my sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because perseverance is being added to your faith. And when you have perseverance, you lack nothing. When God finishes what he's doing in the suffering of Joseph's life, he saves the entire world from famine. Many days, Joseph might have said, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I don't know, but there's a dream and there's a promise and I know who God is and I'm just fighting and I'm just holding on. And when he starts handing out grain to a lady and her three daughters, to a man and his sons, to a grandfather raising his grandkids, when he hands out that grain to that widow, when he has food that people don't have, I bet he said it was worth it to get here. This part of the story made that part of the story worth it. Whatever we're suffering, God's doing something in it. We're not suffering it in vain. We're being created into gold, a faith that will pass through the fire. We won't get into heaven with our seat burning, barely out of the smoke, like, woo, barely made it. We'll be arriving with treasure to lay down at God's feet. We fed the poor. We gave a cup of cold water. We visited in prison. We did this in our community and that in our community. We were being pressed, but we weren't crushed. We were knocked down, but we weren't knocked out. We were being taken from, but we still gave. We didn't have enough for Christmas, but we gave to somebody else's Christmas. The the bills had hit, but we still put into the Operation Christmas Child. I didn't have enough to pay this, but I bought that for that person. I did this. I did that. Our works that we seem like it's nothing. Joseph's in the prison going, what does it matter if I interpret the cupbearer's dream? And then God says, oh, you who are faithful with little, receive much. You took two and made it four. You took five and made it ten. And Joseph is standing there one day going, I'd go back to prison to feed this lady. And then his dad comes. Read the story. There's more to the story. I stopped in chapter 40 and one verse of chapter 42. It goes to 50. You won't believe the family reunion. You won't believe the reunited. You won't believe how God reconciles a family of brothers that wanted to kill each other, and then they love each other. There's so much more to the story. There's so much more to the story. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and sing that song. It said something about that God's never left me, that he's been there. Oh, it reminded me of Joseph, but it reminds me of my story and your story. The Bible says that though we have this pain like a thorn in our flesh, God's grace is sufficient enough. Joseph can't make it through that prison without the Lord. And you can't make it through your suffering without the Lord. But when we know there's a purpose, that God's doing something in the surface, he's purpose in the suffering, he's positioning us somewhere. These trials that we're facing, they're taking us to the more in our life. There's not another way to get there. You can't get to Pharaoh without going through the prison. You can't get to redemption without taking up your cross and dying daily. You can't get to healing without sickness. You can't get to faith without trial. Whatever God's doing, we can trust Him. But I'm just going to tell you the lowest point of our life is not the end of the story. There's more to the story. 
Would you stand? We'll sing this song. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.